You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Uh, radio, David, it's great to be back here. We were doing a little gardening update ourselves. Your okra's not doing well. I'm sorry to hear. Um, and I haven't checked in my garden for a month, so it's, I think this is a bad garden year is all I can tell you. Next year will be better, I promise. It'll be a better well, garden. I, I'm going to do some things differently, assuming that... Um I decide I'm not too lazy to have a garden again. Well, you know, I, I decided this year was my fallow year because I've done a garden for six straight years, and I I loaded it with manure, and I figured I'd put some ammonium sulfate in there. I figured, okay, I'll just let it, you know, I'll throw some tomato plants in and see what happens. And basically, weeds grow really well. I, I started to say, you've probably got a very fine crop of weeds. I do. I'm sure there's a very fine crop of weeds but in there. I, you know, so what I, and I didn't do this when I was farming. Because of harvesting cotton, it's too hard if you have weeds mixed right. in, and so they now they've taken care of all of it. But when I was farming, uh, I'd, I'd keep the weeds out. However, with the gardening, the vegetable gardening, once the crop is up, mm-hmm. then I quit weeding. Uh, and I've got weeds and all that, but uh, like a friend told me, you know, if it's not good enough for for the weeds, then it's not going to be good enough for your whatever you're right. growing. Right. And uh, so, I don't. After you know, after after I got a good stand, my tomatoes are taking care of themselves. So even though the okra is not good, it's at least leafed mm-hmm. out and and shading the the rows. Right. So, I don't. I don't. Worry they don't worry about about it. What you can do is you get a lawnmower and I just mow it. You know, you just mow the weeds. No, I got my. Shug at the weed whacker. That's right. My my, uh, my flamethrower. Oh, the flamethrower. That's right. I forgot about your flamethrower. You know, last week, David, on the program, two weeks ago, we talked about the GOP platform on immigration. And I, I was probably a little harsh, wasn't I? Well, you probably think I was a little harsh. But it's your show. <laughs> uh, but it was true. Let's look at the Democratic platform and see what, what 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 Hillary and gang have come up with. What I find hilarious is that Donald is now saying about his platform, well, I don't really know what's in it. I don't, I don't really care. I, whatever there is there, and I don't have to follow it. And So he let all his all his like anti-immigration people write his platform, and now he's completely abdicating responsibility for his platform. A typical Donald Trump maneuver. By the way, I don't know if you noticed, now he's saying the election, before it's occurred, is rigged, and that's why he's going to lose. I don't know if you noticed that today. That's his newest statement. I'm going to lose the election because it's all rigged and I can't win. Um, that's well, that's well, hilarious. You, that's absolutely I think, hilarious. I think uh, you've got to admit the Democratic uh, convention was a bit rigged. Well, what, in what way? With the uh, with the emails that were passed in. Uh, oh my Debbie God! Do you Wasserman do you really Schultz? believe Why that the DNC controlled the election so that Bernie lost? Bernie lost for one very simple reason, Dave. We talked about this on the show months and months ago. Why did Bernie lose? He didn't come to the South. He never campaigned to African Americans. He never reached out to African Americans. He didn't do anything in Georgia, Alabama. The Car- He wasn't here. So he literally lost the election because he made a poor policy decision, a poor strategic decision in giving Hillary Clinton the South. That's why he lost his election. But why was nothing uh, to do with the why DNC? Was fired. Why was what filed? Because she's incompetent. She should have been filed years ago. That woman is a was a terrible person to run that DNC. She should have been filed a long time ago. And she, and they got hacked, and she did nothing about it. By the way, it appears the Russians didn't just hack stuff and take stuff. They apparently were there for a year, a year, 
and they just picked and chose some of the best emails to distribute to WikiLeaks. But no, the DNC, that, the DNC was the, it was not rigged. Bernie lost that election because he did a he did a poor job strategizing where he was going to get enough delegates from, and he didn't get hardly any from the South, and as a result. He lost. It really is that simple. Two, do you really think the DNC was going to support Bernie Sanders, who wasn't even a Democrat? No, no. No, of course not. So there's no rig going on at the Democratic National Convention. By the way, did you watch the convention? Honestly? As, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, as, a, as a journalist, did you watch the I'm not a journalist. I'm an <laughs> major. I, I've never, I've never <laughs> once. Did you watch it for entertainment when, value? No. Okay, well, I will tell you, it was far better than the GOP convention. Uh, which was a uh, just a nightmare of terrible things happening to America, and we're all going to die. Watch out for nuclear winter. Uh, you could take the DNC convention, put Ronald Reagan in charge of it, and it wouldn't change at all. It was just like watching a Reagan convention from the eighties. It was just, it was amazing. Uh, as far as the, the America dress, evidenced by the fact that Hillary got like a ten point bounce out of the convention today, and now she's over fifty percent in the polls. That's got to make the trumpeters kind of peeing in their pants. They've time to get time to get the pampers out for a lot of these guys. They got a big problem. But let's go back to the platform here because the platform I and you and I both know, David. Parties write these platforms and they never look at them again, right? But I think I think it gives a bellwether for where the system's going and where 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 the party feels. Now you know that Bernie got a lot of his stuff in this platform, a lot of his stuff in this platform, which you and I both know Hillary's going to ignore going forward because she doesn't like Bernie. She doesn't care about Bernie and. Whatever thing Bernie wanted, she doesn't really care and going to do. But here's where it starts. On page 16 of the DNC platform, uh, fixing our broken immigration system. The United States was founded as, and continues to be, a country of immigrants from throughout the world. It is no coincidence that the Statue of Liberty is one of our most profound national symbols. All right, so that could be from either, either convention, right? That's a pretty generic kind of statement. And that is why Democrats believe immigration is not just a problem to be solved, is it a defining aspect of American character and our shared history. Okay, I would say that pretty much nobody disagrees with that. But there are are some people, but most people don't. All right, so first sentence of the key here. The Democratic Party supports legal immigration within reasonable limits. David, question for you. I thought the Democratic Party was all about open borders. Isn't that what you hear from people? It's an open borders. They're open borders. Open the borders. Apparently not. That meets the needs of families and communities and the economy, as well as maintains the United States' role as a beacon of hope for people seeking safety, freedom, and security. Okay. Uh, People should come to the U.S. with visas and not through smugglers. Great. So basically we have a, a limited legal immigration system supported by the Democratic Party. All right, that helps families community. Well, I have to agree with that. That part's pretty good so far. Uh, yet we recognize the current immigration system is broken. Um, anybody who doesn't say that is on drugs. More than 11 million people are living in the shadows without proper documentation. The immigration bureaucracy is full of backlogs that result in U.S. citizens waiting decades to be reunited with family members and green card holders waiting for years to be reunited with their my spouses and minor children. Well, it's actually a year and a half right now, not a very long time. But So, okay, that's all true. All right, The current quota system discriminates against certain immigrants, including immigrants of color, and needs to be reformed through realities of the 21st century. That is also true. And there are real questions about our detention and deportation policy that must be addressed. All right. Well, that that is about as generic a statement as you can come up with. 
um, far more generic than, than the GOP. All right, let's see the next next paragraph here. Democrats believe we need to urgently fix our broken system, which tears families apart and keeps workers in the shadow, and create a path to citizenship for law-abiding families who are here, making a better life for families and contributing to our their communities and our country. And here's where I think they're a little off. Most of these families are not looking, and people are not looking, David, for a pathway to citizenship. They're looking for a pathway to legality. They want to be legal. And I think we have to make that clear distinction. Not very many of these people will actually become citizens if they became legal. Um, If we go back and we look at the amnesty of 1986, how many people who were granted Reagan's amnesty in 1986, and there are about 2.5 million or so of them, how many of them actually became citizens? I think you'd find that somewhere south of 50% actually became citizens. Why? Well, many of them were older when they got their green cards. They couldn't pass the uh, the citizenship test, or they simply weren't interested in the citizenship test. Some of them went back to, back home and just lived the rest of their lives there. So I think you're going to look at less than 50%. So this pathway to citizenship... I think is better framed and better envisioned and really better created as a pathway to legality. Um, Next. Now, here's the next thing that I absolutely agree with. We should repeal the three-year, 10-year, and permanent bars, which often force persons in mixed-status families into a heartbreaking dilemma of either pursuing a green card by leaving the country and their loved ones behind or remaining in the shadows. That, David, that is the, if we could change that one thing, we can fix a good chunk of the undocumented immigrants' problems in America. And we could put this, you know, you're probably tired of me talking about this. I, I would love not to talk. It's been, it's really been this year, David, September, 20 years. Next month, it's 20 years since we last changed our immigration laws and created this problem. 20 years in which we've seen the number of people in the country undocumented skyrocket and the number of people deported skyrocket all because of the three, ten, and permanent bars. If we could get rid of those or modify them in a way that make them reasonable, we can eliminate a big chunk of this problem. Together with proper border enforcement, we can eliminate undocumented immigration problem in America. Not limited. We can severely limit the undocumented immigration problem in America. So I got to agree that that would be the best way to do this. Every day, David, people call me because just this last week, we'll talk about it later in the show, Obama changed some rules. Oh, can I get my green card now? Uh, my spouse is a U.S. citizen. Terrific. How many times did you come in the country? Oh, I, I came in 1990. This guy, yes, I came in 1990. Did you ever leave? Oh, yeah, in, in 2000, my dad died, so I went back to Mexico. But I came right back. You have a permanent bar. You're married to a U.S. citizen, and I can't get you a green card until you live outside the country for 10 years. What? Well, nobody knows I left. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and you're going to be asked the question, are you going to lie? No, I'm not going to lie. Then you got nothing. So we force people who could otherwise fix their situation, get into the the mainstream economy of the United States, eliminate that fear and terror in their families, but for a stupid law that honestly serves no real purpose in its current format, but which in Congress we have been unable to fix for the last literally 20 years. All right, next. We must fix family backlogs. Now, let me go back to the family backlogs. You know, Dave, we talked about the family backlogs before because 
uh, if you're if I'm a U.S. citizen and I want to sponsor my brother, and he's from Mexico, that's probably an eighty to a hundred year wait, somewhere in that neighborhood, eighty to a hundred years. Uh, and um, who's going to wait that long? Nobody. So if we're if we're going to have a category like that, and honestly, I'm not sure we need a category like that, but if we're going to have a category like that, why is it that long? That makes no sense. So we're either going to commit to the category and have reasonable wait times, or we should eliminate the category. I think it's really that simple. If I'm a U.S. citizen and I want to bring my unmarried adult child to the United States to reunite my family, uh, right now if I file, that unmarried adult child is going to wait about a decade, maybe 15 years, somewhere between 10 to 15 years, depending on the country they're from. If they're from Mexico... It's a 25 to 35-year wait. Is anyone going to wait that long? No. People come in illegally as a result of that. So you've got a problem. You've got the legal system creating backlogs that then force illegal behavior. And and I really compare this to the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit. David, I know you were a law-abiding citizen back in the 70s and 80s and never, never went over 55 as you were driving through Texas. Now, I know you're smiling there thinking, well, there were a couple times. I remember driving through Texas in 1980, summer, the summer of 1985. Uh, on my way to Washington, D.C. from uh, from from Utah, we went, went to Florida first. We drove through Texas. And I was driving my 1984 Chevrolet Sprint, all three cylinders of that car. And I remember, if I recall correctly, we entered uh, the area around West Texas, I mean, El Paso area. And I'm pretty sure we didn't leave Texas for about, I don't know, 15 hours or something like that on the other side as we went to going towards New Orleans on 10. Uh, Because I only went 55 miles an hour. I mean, and... If I had been going 70, which I'm sure the speed limit today out there is 75 miles an hour, I mean, you're talking about hours of less time traveling through Texas. Just as an example, people broke that law all the time, all the time. And what happened as a result, ultimately, Congress is forced to repeal it because it made no economic sense. Let's take our first break here on the immigration air. We'll come right back to the Democratic National Committee's platform for 2016. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, 
Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour in America's Web Radio. David, I was thinking about the Immigration Hour. We are likely the longest running, as well as the most popular and most listened to, immigration podcast in the known universe. What do you think? I mean, we've gone now, what, seven years or so? Well, we've been... Maybe eight? I mean, it's been uh, a long so let's time. Say, uh yeah, seven years. Seven years. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a long time, and I, I look online for other podcasts on immigration, and they pop up from every now and then, but they tend to go away, and here we are just slogging along, helping people understand the immigration issue. Um, but now we're delving into the next paragraph of the Democratic Party's uh, 2016 platform on immigration. So let's take a look at this. We've got this. Um, they want to fix family backlogs. Those immigrants already living in the United States who are assets to their communities and contribute so much to our country should be incorporated completely into our society through legal processes that give meaning to our national model e pluribus unum. Blah, 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 blah. Let's see the legislation. All right. And while we continue to fight for comprehensive immigration reform, we will defend and implement President Obama's Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals and Deferred Action for Parents of Americans. Executive actions, which they're not executive actions. I mean, how many times we got to talk about this? They are policy memos from the D, from the, from the Homeland Security folks to help dreamers, parents of citizens, and lawful permanent residents avoid deportation. Well, we'll see. We will build on these actions to provide relief for others, such as parents of dreamers. We will support efforts by states to make dreamers eligible for driver's licenses and in-state college tuition. Which, by the way, David, I have a hearing tomorrow on that case. We'll be going back to court tomorrow to talk to our new judge on our Georgia in-state tuition lawsuit, which we've refiled several months ago. We've been waiting to serve everybody. And we should have a hearing, I think, on this sometime in September. Until we're kind of excited about that. So we're, we're working on in-state tuition for our DACA kids. We will invest in culturally appropriate immigrant integration services, expand access to English language education, and promote naturalization to help the millions of people eligible for citizenship to take that last step. This is what's, what's lacking, David. We talk about, uh, we see Europe, and Europe is an immigration nightmare. Why? Zero integration. I read, I read something fascinating yesterday about France, and I did not know this. Do you know what the average annual growth for France has been since the end of World War II? 0.7%. That's, I mean, that's stunningly low. And if you have immigrants coming into an economy of 0.7% growth, you simply have no jobs for them. I mean, you just, it just doesn't exist. And then you have a French culture that simply will not change. It will not uh, move. It will not be touched. Um Unlike the American culture, which is literally constantly refreshing itself, constantly changing, constantly moving, um, you have an immigrant community in France that simply is unintegrated. They literally are two different types of French people. There are the the natural French-born, um, let's call them Anglo-Saxon type folks, uh, or Franco-Franco folks. I don't know where French people are from, and then you have immigrants. 
and ne'er the twain shall meet. So that's not the case in America. America has historically been very good at integrating people. Uh, we are at a time, David, when we are not not at a historical high percentage of people who have immigrated to America and are immigrants. Actually, we're at one of our lower numbers in decades as far as the number of people who have immigrated to America. Um, and we look at that and we go, well, they're not integrating. But that's not true. That's not true. They are integrating. They're just in different places than they used to be. Uh, have you been surprised? I've been surprised totally at um, the French reaction to the, to ISIS and the terrorists. Um, you mean that they finally got pissed off? Yeah. Yeah, finally. I mean, what's going to take uh, for these yeah, guys? I mean, for, if you'd asked me today, not seeing the news, but if you asked me what do you think the reaction of France would be to terrorist attack or killing, and I'd say, well, they, they would sit back and do nothing and say how shameful it was. Mm-hmm. But for them to, to come up to the plate and do something, and but it's like you said. There's two different France. There's three or four different yeah. Frances, I guess. With with the immigrants, they all stay in their little clusters. Right. Uh, I, I guess it's sort of like uh, or similar to what's happening in Minnesota to a degree. Well, there's where, certainly Somalis that have come to, but they're integrating outside. After the first generation, they integrate and go forward. So, but the French, I guess, uh, multi generational. I'm not going to call them ghettos, but multi generational neighborhoods where people literally never leave their neighborhood. It's like their country's been transported there. David, you know, we celebrate places like that in America, don't we? Chinatown. Yeah. Little Italy. You go to Little Italy today? And you, have you been in New York in any recent no, time? No. All right. Well, the, I don't. I'm the, not a New York fan. The, have you been to New York? Have you been, ever yeah. been to Little Italy in New York? I've been to how many years Chinatown. Has, okay, how many years has it been since you've been there? Oh, Lord. I, I can't. Oh, like decades maybe, right? Yeah. A couple, so when I first went years. to Little Italy as, as a child... It was blocks wide, blocks long. It literally is one block hmm. today because it's going away. There's no new Italians coming into America. Chinatown has expanded. Chinatown has grown and gotten bigger and encompassed much of what was Little Italy. We celebrate these. Oh, go to Chinatown. Go to Little Italy. Other countries don't celebrate that stuff. They say, oh, don't go there. That's, that's where all the Moroccans are. Or don't go there. There's all the Algerians are over there. Other countries don't celebrate stuff like we do. They just don't. Like here, we have Buford Highway, right? Yeah. You want to have an amazing ethnic meal, where are you going to go? Buford Highway. You're not, af- you're not afraid to go to Buford Highway. Yeah, hey, let's go to Buford Highway. It would be awesome. It would be great. We- America celebrates something. France doesn't. And, you know, Germany probably doesn't. Italy certainly doesn't. Uh, England does to a certain extent. But think about the integration here compared to over there. And you're right. They're finally reacting to the terrorist acts in a way that we reacted 15 years ago. And they're finally getting. It. Did you know we bombed um, uh, Libya, Libya yesterday? Libya yeah. yesterday, yeah. And today. And today, good, good. At the behest of the unity government there. Uh, but I haven't seen. I mean, has has France actually gone in and bombed ISIS? What have they done? I mean, I, I know they're angry about it. I know they're doing something. But I have you heard anything about what they're doing? I, well, I France not. has supported uh, the movement in Syria. Right. The Free oh. Syria movement. Yeah. Okay, but what have they? I mean, since have they bombed any ISIS targets? Have they tried to take anybody out? Are they? Yeah, I think they. Just kind of curious. Got some air power in there. Oh, I'd like to see some of their special forces, who I understand are pretty, pretty bad dudes too. So, uh, uh, foreign legion? No, 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 no. <laughs> they have they have their own special forces guys, yeah. not, not the foreign legion. <laughs> foreign legion are not French people by definition, isn't that right? How that works? Um, so, uh, this effort, this to integrate people into America, that's key. Because right now, do you know there's a waiting line to take English classes? 
there should never be a waiting line to take English class. They should be, uh, you want to learn English? Oh, great. Let's make it available. Let's figure out how we're going to do this. Uh, you would think the federal government's office would work with churches and schools and, and colleges and universities. Let's figure out how we can offer free English language education to any immigrant who wants it for a year. Because if you can, if you can take a year's worth of classes, David, in English, you're good. You're good to go the rest of your life at that point. Um, but again, there's nothing. You know, this is a huge contrast. This particular sentence to the GOP platform, who wants immigrants to integrate but wants nothing to do with how they're going to do it. Um, all right, next. Now here's David. One thing that you might not expect in this platform might shock you is immigration enforcement. Now, we heard about the wall, right? The wall that Mexico is going to pay for. Has, it's made out of gold. It's got a big a cursive T on it, so we know who built that wall. Um, quote, we believe immigration enforcement must be humane and consistent with our values. Okay. We should prioritize those who pose a threat to the safety of our communities. Okay. Not hardworking families who are contributing to their communities. Okay. We will end raids and roundups of children and families, okay, which unnecessarily sow fear in immigrant communities. We disfavor deportation of immigrants who served in our armed forces. It's actually a big, a big scandal, a big thing right now, David. I don't know if you've heard about this particular thing. And we want to create a faster path for such veterans to citizenship. So, David, what basically what happened in today's military, if you are in the United States today and you are legal, all right, so you have a visitor visa, student visa. You can join the U.S. military, uh, even though you're not a citizen from a resident, if you have a special language skill. It's called the MAVNI program. So let's say you're an Urdu speaker or you speak Chinese. We will let you in the U.S. military. At the end of basic training, you are sworn in as a U.S. citizen. So guys today don't have this problem. You are sworn in as a U.S. citizen. We go back particularly to the Vietnam era and particularly to Mexicans okay, who were living in the United States. Uh, many of them were permanent residents. They joined the military. Uh, and after Vietnam, you know, you know a lot of Vietnam veterans. I mean, it was a tough war. It was a tough thing to come back to. The, the sentiment we have for troops in, in this part of our era, in the 21st century, that, that, that was not the sentiment in the 60s and 70s, was it? I mean, and coming back from that experience of Vietnam was, I mean, I, I would tell you, go, out, go watch Ferris, Forrest Gump. You know, and, and look at Captain Dan. I mean, that that was a, a typical Vietnam veteran experience coming back. The despair, the hopelessness, the PTSD. No, you know, no ability, no help from society. Uh, and so people did stupid stuff when they got back. A lot of them got into drugs. Wearing drugs in the military, they got into drugs. So you were a permanent resident. You'd serve in the military, and let's say you got caught doing dope or smuggling drugs, something like that. You were deported. You had been deported. So we have a number, hundreds of veterans living in Mexico, U.S. veterans, who got deported because of stupid stuff they did after they got out of the military. And the theory is, they served in the military. Okay, you know, why isn't there a special exemption for them? We should be treating them with the honor and dignity we would treat all veterans who did, who honorably discharged, who did something stupid, not violent, but stupid after they got out of the military, many times because they were suffering from some sort of mental illness brought on by their service. Now, I'm not going to excuse people who do stuff that are terrible, awful, because they, they serve in the military. But there are certain things that should be forgiven. And the idea that we're never going to let people back in the United States, even though they have family here, we have veteran people being deported today in 2016 
who served in the military in the 60s and 70s who are being deported because something they, didn't, they did in the 80s or 90s, who have been crying for you. And there's no way to fix that because if you have a drug conviction, you're gone. You're just gone. So I, I think that this is something that should be shared by both parties. This is something we should go in and fix and say, look, if you're a U.S. military veteran, we're going to let you come back. We're going to forgive you for your crime, as long as it's not a terrible crime, uh, and we're going to bring you back into our society. I mean, what do you what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, you're a vet. You understand this stuff. I'm pro veteran, so okay. you know. So I, you wouldn't have a problem with no, that. No. Okay, I, I I agree. And I I, I think. Uh, uh, it's it's like every issue you bring up, Charles. It's uh, it's it's pretty deep, and uh, uh, what a, what a guy coming back from being in country in Vietnam, uh, you know, society was pretty bad. On oh, it was terrible. Yeah, no. I was only you know, a kid then, but I knew it was terrible. I couldn't I couldn't wear my uni. I mean, we were told not to wear yeah. our uniforms through the airport. We'd yeah. be spit on, you know. So I didn't. Um, and that's a shame. Was, in America. Oh, yeah. That's, but that's, that's what Vietnam was like. That's well, what it was like being in war at that time. You know, but look at the Democratic Convention and the idiots that were standing up saying no more war, you know? Well, that was actually a very small percentage. But nobody wants war. Nobody wants, especially soldiers. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, you don't know what it's like to have a bullet whizzing by your head, you know? But at the same token... But you know what? Uh, Donald Trump is that same way. No more war, right? You know, he's the same way. Yeah, um, well. Let's take a break here. Now, it's a really good point. Let's take a break here. Our America's Web Radio, the Immigration Hour. We'll be right back with more immigration news. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano o tiene problemas con inmigración o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration We're going through the DNC platform, David. Uh, it touches a lot of different things, doesn't it? Um, um, next, we should ensure due process for those fleeing violence in Central America 
and work with our regional partners to address the root causes of violence. We've talked about this in our other shows, David, where we have this surge, although I haven't heard about much of a surge this summer. I mean, it's kind of out of the news right now, probably because of the cycle. I'm curious to see what the numbers of immigrants coming across the border this summer are like compared to last year's numbers. I heard they were up a couple months ago, but I haven't heard anything about July or now in August. Uh, but why are people leaving the Northern Triangle? Why are they leaving Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador? Because we have deported all these gangbangers and terrible people to those countries, countries that were unprepared uh, from a police perspective to deal with the crime and corruption that comes from deporting very bad people. I mean, it's as if we emptied Sing Sing in, into, uh, into New York City and said, okay, all these guys are going to be in New York City. Don't worry about it. They'll be fine. Have a nice day. And the police are unprepared to deal with it. Or put him in a small town in, in Michigan, you know. Hey, we're going to get Saginaw. We're going to deport these 300 really bad people from, uh, from the worst prison in, in Michigan into your town. Uh, don't worry. They'll be okay. And pretty soon they're running the town. I mean, that, that's what happened in these countries. Uh, you have kids, literally, who can't go to school. Uh, teachers who can't teach because they're being extorted and threatened by, by the gangs. And so criminal, the, and, and typically, typically speaking, these are uh, issues that normally are not addressed in an asylum context, but now have to be addressed in an asylum context because there's no other way to, to do this. Um, you have the administration trying to funnel money to Mexico to stop people from crossing their border, but they're coming anyway. Rather than addressing the root cause, why are we not supporting proper, diligent government enforcement of Honduran, El Salvador, and Guatemalan laws against gangs? Why are we not helping them better and uh, better their police systems, better their incarceration systems, better their law enforcement and judicial systems, and give them protection and help from these gang members? We, we've done it before. We stamped the mafia out, right? I mean, the mafia in New York, I might say, were eliminated, but they certainly were severely curtailed by the efforts of the federal government. Uh, this same thing can happen in, in, in these other countries if we wanted it to happen. So I'm, I'm curious. They, they want to work with regional partners. But is, um, that, is that our... Well, it is when they're coming yeah. here. And here's why it's our problem, David, because they're coming here. So you can't complain about the women and children fleeing their inability to live a life in their country and then I'd say, well, what's, why are you coming here? I mean, it's much the same as like Syrian refugees. Nobody wants Syrian refugees, Right. So how do you eliminate Syrian refugees? Fix Syria. So there, was also, there are no Syrian refugees, right? So what are we trying to do? We're doing a really crappy job of trying to fix Syria. All right? So this is another issue. This is, this is not unlike Syria. It's not unlike that. Um, and in many ways, we cause these problems as a country. We promoted political and economic instability in these countries for decades. We've done that as a country, looking, looking around our border. So I think we have a moral obligation. I think we have an economic obligation. I think we have a societal obligation to help those countries better themselves. Because not only are they losing women and children, they're losing their future talent. They're losing their ability to fix their system from within when some of their best people are leaving the country. But I don't think we can go in without being invited. Oh, no, I think, I think that's the point. We need to say, are we invited? Now, the countries are actually asking for our help at this point. So the question is, how are we going to help? And I'll give you a great example of church. Somebody called me the other day from my church uh, for a family in another part of the country uh, from El Salvador. And they were a very successful family in El Salvador. He owned a jewelry store. 
Uh, they were their kids were in school down there. They loved El Salvador. They were in leadership in the church down there. Really good people, having a great, having a good life. And then the gangs came in a few months ago and said, "You're going to start paying us a thousand dollars a month." Well, that's a lot of money in El Salvador. For feeling like this, I mean, so he did. He started paying a thousand dollars a month. Oh, you need to pay us five thousand dollars a month. He closed up his shop and left with his family, just like that. Because the government, he saw, could not protect him. Because the government is so corrupt. Really, the police in many ways are so corrupt by the gangs. Because the police are just as afraid of the gangs as the school kids. Why? Because the police have infiltrators in themselves. And they know they cannot trust the guy next to them. You know, in America, we don't have that problem, generally speaking. All right? At least now we don't have that problem. We could have that problem in the future. We don't have it now. Uh, but as a result, you have a situation where people are just going to go. They're going to go where it's safe. America views itself, it puts itself as safe. So I think this is very interesting of them to have this in here. We must take particular care with children, which is why we should guarantee government-funded counsel for unaccompanied children in immigration courts. This, David, actually is a pet peeve of mine. We have literally children going to court with no lawyers. I mean, that's just, that's just wrong. It's ethically wrong, it's morally wrong, it's legally wrong. Uh, the government should be required to furnish lawyers. And not, not me. I mean, I, they should be a public defender system for unaccompanied minors. There just should be. Um, how can you present your own asylum case as a 12-year-old? Really? How can you do that? You just can't. You might have the best asylum case in the world. How are you going to present it? It's just it's, it's untenable. It's an untenable system. Uh, we should consider all available means of protecting these individuals from threat to their lives and safety, including strengthening in-country and third-country processing, expanding the humanitarian parole, and expanding and granting temporary protective status. Well, none of that's going to happen. All right, next. Now, here's actually, I kind of like this, David, uh, and I think this may surprise you. We will promote best practices among law enforcement in terms of how they collaborate with federal authorities to ensure they maintain and build trust between local law enforcement and the communities they serve. We will also vigorously oversee any programs put in place to make sure there are no abuses and no arbitrary deportation programs. We will establish an affirmative process for workers to report labor violations and to request deferred action. That's kind of in place already. We will work to ensure that all Americans, regardless of immigration status, have access to quality health care. That's kind of a kind of a t- tipping point for a lot of people. Uh, that means expanding community health centers, allowing all families to buy into affordable care act exchanges, supporting states that open into public health to all persons, and finally enacting comprehensive reform and will expand opportunities for dreamers to serve in the military and to receive expedited citizenship. Um, so right now, if you're a dreamer, if you're one of these DACA kids and you want to serve in the military, let's say you came here at six months old and you're the oldest kid in your family, you've got five siblings all born in the United States. They're all citizens. Your younger brother goes in the military, and you say, I want to go in the military. You can't. Sorry. We're turning people away from the United States military. That's silly. But not just immigrants. No. Well, what what do you mean? Who else are we turning away from the U.S.? Are we turning citizens away from the U.S. military? Mm -hmm. Why? Because of downsizing, and they're kicking folks out, or not kicking people out, but they're asking them to... uh, Leave. They're asking certain people to leave the military who don't meet performance standards. I assume. No, just just randomly ask people to leave the military. I don't. Yeah, believe and that they're either. they're pushing people out. Yeah, we our military size in the past 
three years has look it up. It's decreased uh, considerably. Okay. Do we need that big a military? I'm not a general. I'm not in the. Uh, I mean, know, I assume I, if, if there's a downsizing in the military, the military is well aware of the downsizing. They're very well aware of it. And I assume the generals and the colonels, people make these decisions, are in favor of it well, because they weren't. Unfortunately, the military become once you become once you get your first star, you 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 get away from the military and become a politician, particularly uh, in D.C. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're serving your time in D.C. So the people that that make it to the general rank, they simply don't know how the military should be run because they're more politicians than they are military people. Well, uh, that uh, surely there are exceptions. It becomes to that rule. very well. I'm sure there are, but the, it becomes very political to get that star. Once you become a colonel and you're going for your first star, yeah, you're a politician, and that's that's the way the system is. Um, you 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 know you follow the orders or you kiss the right uh, tail to to move up in rank to get and to get to go from one start. And See, it's I'm not in, I'm not in the military, so I don't understand how that works. Oh, it's uh, very political. But then it works like the rest of the world. You got to do you got you got to impress the right person to get the rank. So it seems like that is like everything else in life. Pretty much. So the military is no different than the rest of the world. And if uh, if your boss, who is the commander in chief, says we need to cut back, you cut back, and you say that that was a great decision. But that's not the commander in chief's decision; it's Congress's decision. No, it's Con- no, no. I mean, Congress determines how much money is allocated to the military. Correct? Absolutely. All right. So ultimately, if there is money for troops, there will be troops to spend that money. I mean, surely your experience with government is: if there's money available, it's going to be spent. Well, that goes into equipment as well. Well, but understand, that's a separate that's a separate line item number. So if Congress is allocating X dollars for troops pay, they will have X number of troops, right? No. So you're saying the military will not spend the money that's allocated to them? I don't believe that, David. At no, all. they'll they'll spend the money, but they'll find a different way to do it. Well, they won't. They, but no, but these are line item issues. I mean, well, these yeah, are I mean, things. Look at the numbers. They well, so this is really Congress's We've fault. We've got the smallest military. It, it, we've got a smaller military today than we had before World War Two. I don't. That's simply not true, David. That's just not true. Look it up. That, I will look it up because that's simply not true. Because World War, before World War Two, we essentially had no military. We essentially had no military before World War Two, which is why we got caught sitting in our in our pants getting into World War Two because we didn't have anything. We didn't have planes. We didn't have tanks. We had squat. That was our problem with World War Getting that's why that's why Japan saw us as an easy, easy, soft target. That's why Germany declared war on us because they thought, well, these guys got nothing. They have no military right now. So, our military today is the best and most well-equipped fighting force in the world. It's not the largest fighting force; It doesn't have to be because we're not the largest country in the world. But my my supposition is this is Congress's issue. Yes, the commander in chief is in charge of the military, but he doesn't say, "Hey, don't spend that money." If Congress allocates money for troops, there will be the, those troops that spend all that money. Period. End of story. That's how that's how Congress works. And if 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 and if and since the GOP controls Congress, and they have allocated these funds for the military, why are there not hearings on this saying why aren't you spending the money we gave you for troops? See, my supposition, David, is actually Congress is at fault here. If in fact there is a shrinking of the military, which there may or may not be, because there's lots of guys still going in the military every single day. Yeah, you might be getting rid of colonels and some and some majors, and but there's lots of people that are still in the military today and lots joining today. Uh, that at the end of the day, 
the military is certainly not as small as it was before World War One, uh, World War Two. That's simply not 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 the case, and we are much more effective than we were before World War Two as today. Are we on our last break here, David? Do we have, do we get to come back and then finish up uh, the Democratic National Convention uh, platform. We'll be right back on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Buzz off with Lawyer Liz. Join me each week, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, as we talk drones, Internet of Things, and technology. Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David and I were just talking about uh, um, uh, the size of the United States military in 2016. Uh, David, we talked that 2011 is 1.4 million. Uh, 2016's numbers... um, are not as easy to find on the, uh, let's see, from the Heritage Foundation. Um, um, and let's look at their numbers. I'm just curious, Dad, because we know in 1940 there were 400,000 members of the United States military. Um, well, they don't make this easy. you think people would make this easy for us to look at a number, right? Uh, global firepower, military strength, uh, here we go. Current military powers, yada, yada, yada. Uh, in the military, uh, we have 1.4 million people. <laughs> so, David, the numbers haven't shrunk. That's 2016's numbers. Uh, more myth that's out there that people read about on websites that have no basis in reality. Um, so, we want to get more people in the military. Well, here's kids who want to serve. We're saying, no, you can't serve. That's just silly. Um, now, here is something that I do do support. Um, we will fight to end federal, state, and municipal contracts with for-profit private prisons and private detention centers. One of the things I love that you say all the time, David, is follow the money. Follow the money. Why are there private prisons? Making somebody a lot of money. Somebody's making a lot of money. 
So somebody's crony, somebody's buddy, some politician's friend, or some politician. There should not. There are certain things government should do. One of those is incarcerating people. Period. End of story. There should not be private prisons. Ah. In order to end family detention, we will ensure humane alternatives for those who pose no public threat. Okay. Why isn't Obama doing that? This is my big pet peeve with Obama. He's expanded private prisons. He detains families. Um, we recognize there are vulnerable communities within our immigration system who are often seeking refuge from persecution abroad, such as LGBT families for whom detention can be unacceptably dangerous. Okay, then why don't you do something about it now since you control the detention system? Uh, oh, here's a, a Trump swipe. We reject attempts to impose a religious test to bar immigrants, refugees from the country. It's un-American, runs counter-defining principles. Yes, it does. Finally, Democrats will not stand for the divisive and derogatory language of Donald Trump. His offensive comments about immigrants, blah, 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 blah. Trump's, Trump's useless anyway. He's not going to win. So, David, here's my question for you. Did you happen to see uh, General Allen's speech at the Democratic National Convention? Clips. You saw clips of that. What was your take on, on General Allen's speech? Not much. Not much. Why not? I'm just kind of curious how you because I don't I didn't know General Allen before this at all. I don't know who you know who he was, what he was doing. He was clearly general esque in his speaking manner. So, what was your take on that? I I disagree with uh, disagree with and. Uh, in what way? Certainly what? don't don't support. Uh, well, I think I don't support. After meeting uh, Chris Peranto, tell me who Chris Peranto is. I don't know who Chris Peranto is. Uh, he was one of the uh, one of the guys that was uh, at Benghazi and and uh, fought in Benghazi too. Okay. And you know he he was one of the. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Thirteen Hours. I've not yet. I've not. I'm going to play. I'm watching. I haven't seen it. You know, he he was there and and was there when they were calling for help, and I guess that was if I had ever in my life thought about anything positive about the Clintons, it ended with with Benghazi mm-hmm. and what they went through in Benghazi for no reason, um, and then uh, you know and her coming out blatantly lying about that it was a, a video that started it. It never was a video. Uh, I mean. Well, it was a video. It just wasn't what started that. That was a planned assault. We all know that. So for a military person to come out in support of Clinton for anything, I I just... Well, what does that tell you about Donald Trump? Yeah. It doesn't tell me anything. No, it should should speak volumes about Donald Trump. If a military person who is aware of what you are aware of, and let's assume he is aware of all these things, how bad must Donald Trump be... For him and his colleagues on, on on the podium there to support Hillary Clinton. Well, there are other, there are other people, that, uh, other uh, other generals and other military that are supporting Trump. But why is any general supporting Hillary Clinton? I have no idea. Maybe he's nuts. Or maybe he recognizes the threat that Donald Trump is to the United States military. And the disrespect that Donald Trump has for the United States military, and the lies Donald Trump has told about the U.S. military, and the money he has lied about not donating to the United States military. Maybe he sees through all that. Maybe he thinks, oh, but he, he won't be that bad when he's president. Yeah, he will, because he's that bad of a person. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe. Well, maybe it's because Hillary is the most hawkish Democrat in the history of Democrats. Is Hillary not a hawk? 
I don't know. Is she is she is she oh, really a Democratic neocon? Isn't she, she really a Democratic neocon? She seems to be a very uh, pathological liar. But you keep saying that. What has she lied about exactly? What has she lied? Yeah, about? I just care. What What do you feel she's lied about? Let's Keeping see. in mind, I'm not a Democrat, so I mean, I want to know what she's lied about because I hear this all the time, but. Nobody can tell me what she's lied about. Well, Whitewater, she she was caught in lies. No, actually, Watergate, no, no. Watergate, no. she was caught. What? In not lies. Watergate. Yeah, she was on the Watergate committee and was fired because of lying. Look it up. Uh, well, David, I actually have looked that up, and that's actually not true. You know, there are things that that are on the internet that aren't. I know it's an ugly. That are not true. So Whitewater. No lying. She worked at a law firm as a young associate, so nothing there. What else? What about the records that just mysteriously appeared in the White House after during Whitewater? That she she couldn't they you know they just mysteriously were on a coffee table outside the front door uh, outside their residential door. So she had those removed. Okay, all right. Uh, what else? You know, uh, Benghazi. That, that's. You keep talking about Benghazi. What role did Hillary Clinton have in, in denying access to relief to she these was, troops? She was the one that uh, came out, or she certainly supported and told the, uh, told the uh, parents of the people as the bodies were coming back that it was caused by a video. Well, one mother says she claimed that. So, but how is Hillary responsible for Benghazi? Uh, now they're looking into the selling of arms through Benghazi to uh, ISIS. So Hillary authorized the selling of arms. I, I mean, it's David. It, I mean, you can throw all kinds of crazy stuff out there. I'm just looking for where's the proof of any of this stuff. You know, Hillary never changes her underwear. She's not fit to be president. Great. Show me proof of that. I mean, just just saying okay, something okay. doesn't make uh, it true. What did Comey say about her and, and uh, that uh, in the records on the email? My, my recollection of Comey's testimony was that there was classified material in the emails she both sent and received. That's what he said. He did not say they were marked as classified when she sent and received them. That's a different thing. And we know that Saint came out. Saint came out after his testimony and said none of that was marked classified at the time. Because remember, there was a big deal about well, some of it was marked. Some there was a Saint saying there was none marked classified at the time. And think about this. Now the same they they might be they're covering their own tracks. Saint Barbara, I understand that, but. How did I worked at the State Department? I know how stuff's marked. Okay, when I worked at State, you, you would get these. And this is back before email, right? So you'd get these memos, and they was every everything is addressed to the secretary, so that you know every memo at State is addressed to the Secretary of State, whether whether she sees it or not, it's all addressed to her. And in my days, there would be a literal a physical stamp printed on the top, secret, top secret, classified, so you know who who it went to. Apparently, in emails, they don't necessarily do that, okay? And some of the inf- a lot of the information that was transmitted to and from her was marked, cla- incorrectly not marked, or incorrectly marked classified. And so what the state's saying is none of that was marked. So, now, of course, if she receives an email that's marked classified, what is she supposed to do about that? Now, why, why did she have her own server to begin with? Well, that's quite clear. She didn't want she didn't want a FOIAs to be given on him, but there was no law saying she couldn't have her own servers. I mean, see, see, this is the thing, David. If in fact it was illegal to have your own server, then she would have been prosecuted. But you know, it wasn't. It is now, but it wasn't then. That's why Colin Powell used his own private email. 
That's why. That's why. Uh, Con- for- uh, that's why Condi Rice. Oh yeah, that's why Condi Rice used her own private email because it wasn't required to use it. Was it a good idea? No, it was monumentally stupid. Monumentally stupid. Which she's kind of apologized for. I think she does a terrible job of apologizing. A better job than Trump does about apologizing, but a terrible job about apologizing. But at the end of the day, yeah, there were some emails on there. And why? It's quite clear why. She didn't want to respond to FOIAs. That's why. It's quite clear. Let's not kid ourselves. Why? Because she got burned at the White House. We said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have my... So she was looking to protect her emails. Stupid. Monumentally stupid. Illegal? No. Absolutely not. So why else is she a liar? Now, she came out the other day and said, Comey said that I didn't send or receive classified emails. Washington Post said it's four Pinocchios. You know, Hillary is an idiot to keep. I don't know why she doesn't say, you know what? It shouldn't have happened. I shouldn't have had that server. Uh, in the future, I'll never do anything like that again. I learned my lesson. Thank you very much. What's your next question? You know, but she makes the same mistake Trump makes by keep repeating the same stupid stuff she repeated before. All right, why else? Any other lies? Um, there are some. I couldn't convince you anyway, so that done right. No, I'm just trying. I'm, I'm just trying to look for. Here's the great thing about Facebook, David. Nobody convinces anybody of anything. You just make people angry <laughs> about where they believe. Um, if I was faced with a choice of any other Republican, but Donald Trump, because he's not a Republican, this is actually an easy election for the GOP to win. And you look at the immigration platform that has come out here, and you compare them. This platform, David, is the platform of George Bush, of Ronald Reagan, of, uh, of even a Mitt Romney's got a better platform than the current GOP. You compare these two platforms, it's quite clear who believes that immigration is good for America and who believes that immigration should be shut down. And, you know, one's the GOP and one's the Democrats. And they've apparently switched sides in the last couple of decades. So, David, it's been a good week. Thanks for talking me through and talking me off the cliff. We'll be back next week on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.